Welcome to Ramble City. Nice. Do you want me to do like, I love doing classic radio voice like plugs if you want. You want oh, can you please? Yeah, yeah, please do one. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what, what do you want me to say? Uh, just something. You say whatever you want. Like, honestly, just. Hi there. This is Tyro Noonan and you're on Ramble City with Brad McCourt. <laughs> I love it. That's now my ringtone. Anytime yeah. my phone rings, it's going to be you. <laughs> okay, I'll do you one more if you like. Yeah, great. Ready? Yeah. No rap crap, no techno, just pure classic rock on Ramble City with Brad McCourt. Oh, man, this has been fun. Oh, this has been fun. That was an actual <laughs> That was an actual radio plug back in the 80s on Triple M in Brisbane. Really? No rap crap, no techno. Just pure classic rock. Triple M rocks Brisbane. I mean, could they say that now? No. I mean, it's 90% rap, 5% rock, yeah. and 5% ads. <laughs> no, 30% ads. Sorry, my apologies, you're right. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ramble City. I'm your host, Bradley McCaw, coming to you live from Brisbane. It's exciting because today's episode features a band and an artist that I was very, very familiar with and a big, big fan of in my early days growing up in Brisbane. Tyro Noonan stops by today to talk to us about the hugely popular band George. And, of course, the, the upcoming show at the Brisbane Powerhouse. Now, if you're not in Brisbane, you can still enjoy this episode uh, in many ways with your ears Um with your eyes, I guess, if you want to look at the audio stream. But it's an episode that we that we talk a lot about Tyrone's early days, how they came up and formed in Brisbane, the relationship between him and Katie Noonan, his sister, and how they formed the band. He had some really interesting stories about that, travelling through their EPs to being signed by Festival Records in 2001, and, and how the, the album went, you know, debuted at number one, which they're only one of ten Australian artists ever to do this, which is an incredible, incredible achievement. Um, the the album has been recognised as one of Triple J's hottest 100 Australian albums of all time and has landed in Double J's top 50 best Australian albums. It's an incredible story by a band that meant a lot to me and to so many people that grew up in Brisbane and to people around Australia and around the world. It was a pleasure to talk to Tyrone. I'm not sure where he was. Uh, I was talking from my studio. Unfortunately, that during the recording process, we had a little bit of an error with the software somewhere. So my mic doesn't sound as pristine and as beautiful as it usually does. It's still a really, really interesting chat. Ty is so generous with his time and and talks through a lot of stuff that you probably don't know uh, about the band. So if you're a big George fan, if you're a big music fan, it's a story of a band that that comes together in, in university and then manages to blow up and have a number one record and be aria nominated and it's a wonderful story one i'm so glad that ty was willing to spend time sharing with me and one that we're really glad to bring to you and and i hope you enjoy it just a quick message before we start the show though you can follow me on facebook and instagram at bradley mccore official you can find more about the show transcripts from our episodes at ramblecitypodcast.com and of course if you are in brisbane or in anywhere in queensland or australia for that matter tickets are available now for the poly serena 20th anniversary live tour with george tyron and katie and, and many of the band playing at the brisbane powerhouse from may 6th to may 8th 
But in the meantime, sit back, relax and get ready as we talk about a whole lot of bastard sons. That's uh, a song off, off the record. It gets mentioned quite a lot. Nevertheless, this is Tyrone Noonan. Welcome to Ramble City. All right, it's April 2021. Um, I'm here uh, in my closet, essentially, and I'm talking to Ty Noonan, and his backdrop looks like uh, this gorgeous big tree. You look so relaxed there, Ty, and I <laughs> feel like I'm stuck in a bunker. How are you today? Good to be checking, chatting with you. Yeah, likewise, mate. No, I'm good. I'm good, Bradley. How are you? Good, oh, good. Being I'm stuck so- in your closet. Hope you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so excited to talk uh, with you about this upcoming show that you guys have with George. And I guess for me, go a bit down memory lane, given that I'm a Brisbane boy and given that, you know, in my coming up, George really was that band for a lot of people of my time in Brisbane that really sort of just resonated with us in sort of a real indie sense. And we watched it sort of grow up into this, you know, number one, aria charting band so it's uh, it's a real thrill to to chat through this with me i mean oh my pleasure mate i think it was as as much of a surprise to us as it was to anyone else or maybe even more so yeah so you guys you guys formed in 1996 as part of a it's what it says online is a university music competition but obviously you and your sister katie uh, are related so you guys were you making music together before then um how did the whole thing really come about no, in fact, you know, because there's a, f- a few years between my sister and I, so sh- she was my little sister. And, you know, when I was a an early teenager, if, if someone had said, you know, you're going to be playing in a band with your little sister, I probably would have laughed at them at the time. You know, <laughs> being a snarky teen with my little goody, goody two-shoes little sister. You yeah, know? right. So it wasn't really on the cards. No, we weren't we, – we shared some musical – interests uh even though there was the age difference we still uh shared some musical purchases uh some classic records i think one by the arrhythmics another one by uh ice house yeah great records uh, and and others like that that we kind of went went halves in so to speak you know because we both thought uh they were that was music we both wanted to listen to on the record player downstairs so um yeah and so both of your, at the time, were your musical tastes sitting in different places? Like strange, like overwhelmingly, and this was like the, the crossroads that you guys connected through these records you bought together? Or Yeah, that's right. Because I was, yeah, right. I was, you know, listening to punk and everything else at the time, The Clash and Early Cure and all kinds of stuff like that, which was a little too weird for her ears at the time. But Eurythmics and Ice House, that's where we met up. Interestingly, to the Eurythmics, you know, the male and female on the front cover and kind of the, the, the big thing, it could have been laying some track for this idea down the track, you know? Maybe it was. Maybe it was. There you go. So then when you get to in university, you guys sign up. Was this for Triple J Unearthed? So there, there was a Triple J Unearthed thing. That's, that's a funny little story, actually. Um, so I was in an electronic group at the time called T-Squared. Right. And they wanted us to come on to trip to Triple J on Earth because Triple J were in Brisbane, recording stuff in Brisbane yep. and doing some live broadcasts from Brisbane at the time. And they yep. were in the Valley Mall. They had a set up in the Valley Mall, and they said, "Can you guys come and do an unplugged set?" 
and I said, you can, well, you could come in and record <laughs> the sound of us hitting the buttons on our samplers. But <laughs> as, far as, as far as performing Unplugged, that's a little bit difficult because we're an electronic band. And, uh, but I said, but uh, you know what? I have just started this other band with my sister. We could perform Unplugged. And so they yeah. went, yeah, okay, do that. So I think that was pretty much the first official kind of uh, radio performance of what was to become the band George. And, yeah. and so did you guys form together as an act of, was it little sister saying big, big brother, hey, I'm doing this thing. Can you come and just play some guitar in my band? Or was it, or no, was it something exactly. different? So what happened was uh, Nick... Nick, the guitarist, um, he had become friends with my sister and through her, sorry, through his uh, twin brother, Jimmy, who was studying acting at QUT. And so, and the house that Katie was living in had become like a kind of a drop-in centre for young out-of-work actors and, uh, and, and young musicians. Right. And... I had recently come back from overseas and I played really hard in bands over there. And um, one of the guys in the band kind of kept sabotaging our chances of success. So I was a little bit over the whole band thing. And I, I'd actually gotten really excited about what was happening in the club scene when I was living in Ireland. Uh, yeah, right. The second, second, third year I was, well, the second year I was there, it was club capital of Europe. So it was really exciting what was going on. There was like, new forms of art being created, you know, in a nightclub environment. So I thought it was really kind of the most cutting edge and kind of fresh culture that was out there at the time. Also, you know, mixing the idea of pre-recorded music, like from a DJ plus a live element was really into that. So I I was really getting into doing that kind of stuff. And plus I was really into drum and bass and jungle music as well. Yeah. So the thought of being in a band at that time seemed pretty naff. To me, to be honest. Yeah. But then um, my friend at a store called Music Lab at the time, actually I think it was the Academy of Music back then still, yeah, I think so, at uh, Spring Hill, um, I said, look, if if you ever get a, a Wurlitzer piano or a Rhodes piano or anything else turn up as a trade-in or anything like that, please let me know. So one day this Wurlitzer piano turned up and Andy gave me a call straight away and I just picked it up straight away and then so suddenly I wanted to really get back into playing and I knew my sister had started these kind of hippie jams on the back deck with Nick and some other people so I I decided to start joining in on those and um, and so and then I think after a few jams Nick kind of sprung it on us all and he said, oh, like several months ago, I entered what was then a fictitious band into the National Campus Bands competition. He's like, I reckon you guys should be the band. We all just went, oh, yeah, I suppose we better actually then organise a couple of songs then. <laughs> and so so up until this point, you guys just been, you've just been jamming out and what you guys had just been bringing songs to the jam and you'd just been playing along and the other guys had just been sort of jumping on and just... Yeah, or just like... You know, starting off with a Santana riff and just going from there or whatever. Yeah. So it didn't start out with very serious aims whatsoever. Yeah, that's so interesting because obviously my assumption would have been that it would have been one of the songwriters, you know, you guys that sort of 
that have got all these songs, let's do something with them. No, it's it's the it's the guitarist that sneak attack. He goes, I need songs to play. Uh, one of you guys wanna wanna do this with me? That's awesome. Okay, so you guys, um, so Nick enters you guys in into this uh, university music competition. Um, yep. The first EP that you guys put out independently is self-titled George in 1998. Yep. How did, was this just a collection of the songs that you guys thought, well, then we better just play something. I've got a couple of songs. This Santana riff is actually this tune that I've put with this now. It's, it, what did you take we, in we those sessions? We recording the Santana riff because we, we would have had to have... Um, Copyright's a problem that. with that, is it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Black Magic Woman is quite famous, I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was Soul Sacrifice, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah. See, you've always you you've got such an eclectic taste and appreciation of music, don't you, Ty? Like it's you you're right across the range, being a multi instrumentalist, and uh, I feel a bit simpatico with you there in that regard. That it's always everything wets your whistle. You're always kind of going from one thing to the next because they're all really groovy you know what i mean they're all really and you you can work in all these different spheres you know so from santana to to electronic to um to, to oh gosh i don't know to gospel stuff the the you know it's um have, has it always been like that for you have you always just dug yeah i just everything i get bored easily i think that's what it is yeah right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's no, the, the, um, yeah it's not that i love music i just i just can't be bothered staying in one space sorry <laughs> Yeah, no, I've just always been pretty eclectic, I guess. Like the, I used to be, I used to say, you know, that I, I hated country music, but I can't really yeah. say that anymore because I've come to recognise that there is some country music that's actually really good. So there's even the pla- even the things I used to say I didn't like, I like now anyway. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, age does that to all the to all of us. You know, there was probably <laughs> even one good trap song. You know. I'd even yeah. <laughs> say that. There was at least one. <laughs> so, so segueing back into the EPs there. So the first one comes out, 1998, you put out independently, George. Do you remember any stories about that? Where you, so you recorded these these run of EPs, these first three, all in Brisbane, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, Brisbane and surrounds, like Brisbane, Byron, kind of area. Yeah, some of it in Byron. Yep. Oh, actually, actually, no, the, funnily enough, the first one was all Brisbane – the second two were both northern New South Wales, actually. Or even, um, gosh, the second one was recorded at uh, Jimmy Barnes' studio. So that was in Barrel, actually. The third EP, that's the Bastard Sun Holiday EP, was recorded in Barrel. So the first EP was recorded in Brisbane. second EP was recorded in Byron Bay at Rocking Horse Studios. And the third EP was recorded in Barrel at Jimmy Barnes' uh, old home studio. I'm not sure if that still exists or not. And do you remember anything from recording those? Is anything sting- springs to mind about the process and, and coming up with those tunes and, and working yeah. on them and putting them down? Well, the first EP, EP turned out to be a bit of a technical nightmare. Like in our kind of spirit of DIY, we thought that we could record it all ourselves. I already purchased... What what at the at the time was a pretty powerful MacBook computer, but at the time you couldn't really record multiple tracks of audio to a hard drive unless you spent stupid amounts of money. So we got this whole interface system with a desk, 
and everything that was supposed to synchronize really easily to ADAT machines. I don't know if you've right. ever heard of ADAT machines, but no, no. It was a thing that was around for a while and it allowed eight track digital audio recording onto VHS cassette tapes, essentially. Get out. Wow. Seriously. Um, it was big there for a while. Uh, so we were t- as basically attempting to to um, to kind of merge these two technologies so that we could still get the multi-track recordings we needed and, and still use our computer and, and basically do, do it ourselves. But uh, that turned out to be very difficult. It was very difficult to get the machines to synchronize with the computer. It was a nightmare, really. We got there in the end. But uh, so the first EP was, was rather traumatic, just synchronization issues, basically. And I guess the problem is recording to VHS is you have to record over all your old fitness videos and your old um, Dennis Lilly <laughs> tapes. You know, you want to keep yeah. them for, I was, you for, said for many years to guy, come. I, was, you know, when I think of 80s or 90s, I think of that guy. Was that guy Richard Simmons? Yeah. I had yeah, yeah. Richard Simmons' greatest hits, you know, which was tough. No, no, you. You basically you had to buy, you basically had to buy you know specialized um, um, kind of tapes that were you know like super high grade. Like remember how you used to get those metal cassettes? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so, did you take any of the the um, those challenges out of that first EP into into the next couple? Did did it change the way that you wanted to record those? Well, we decided to go into a studio for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be slightly different. Yes, I can see that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, it was cool. I uh, really enjoyed it. It was like, you know, stepping up to the next level, I guess. And, um, and yeah. So, Bastard Son, did you, did you feel like as you were making these that there was some sort of slow progression moving towards, you know, eventually being signed and, and what was sort of to come in the early 2000s there? Did, did, did you feel that happening or was it just in those early days you were just were just uh, a band just making some tunes and just slow just trying some stuff or did it do were people already starting to kind of notice what you guys were doing yeah we seemed to get like particularly from the second EP uh, yeah we immediately started to get some decent radio play and stuff like that um, you know between triple triple J and community radio. There was starting, and plus us then also touring a lot on the back of that. Yeah, um, just made it um, made it all a lot easier, I guess, to to uh, to move things along. You know, having that early support of radio was so crucial. Because I remember um, being at a party in Brisbane in two thousand and. Uh, look, I, I had to have left school. I don't know. I didn't go to many parties when I was younger, so I, it would have had to have been after I've left school because I'm yeah. a real nerd. Um, but I remember this was my interrupt, interrupt, in, my introduction to your guys' music at that time where I was at – it was a big backyard party and lots of people having beers and, and – Everyone was talking and um, just milling in their own groups and, you know, doing the catch-ups as you do. And then yep. all of a sudden, one of your guys' songs comes on and uh, and everyone just sort of stops talking and just starts singing along, just like the entire the entire party. No, and no, I hadn't no. heard your music yet. Honestly, yeah, and it was probably like, honestly, would have been at least 50 people there. And I'm going, God. what is going on? What is this? This is like a cult. 
It was shocking. <laughs> it was shocking to me because I, I obviously hadn't heard it. And I'm like, who is this? It's like a Brisbane band. And I'm sure it was one of the early EPs. Maybe it was just wow. after the record had come out. But I mean, this is this was my introduction to your guys' stuff. And I, of course, subsequently became a big fan and listened to that to your guys' first album many, many times. And you know, would would try and replicate Katie's in your voice. Um, you know, I, I'm sure many bus drivers heard me singing "Bastard Son," wondering why I was so rude. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you guys eventually then you get signed in 2001. Actually, before I go to that, just just um, did you ever? No, no, no. Let's go to that. So you guys eventually get signed in two thousand and one. What was it? How did that come about? And what was that like? Was that um, after being so sick of bands, as you said, coming back and being in this band that thinks that looks like and well is cutting through? Was that a bit yes. strange? Yeah, it was all pretty surreal because you know, like like I said, we never started out with this kind of. It wasn't like Oasis where it was like we're going to be the biggest band in the world. <laughs> I wasn't even anywhere near a, a band. Yeah, right. Manchester trying to, a man trying to sound like a Scouser accent. Um, which, <laughs> another thing I always ask people from Manchester, it's like, it always confuses the hell out of them. That's another, that's another point. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we start out with those aims. So, you know, we just, as, as at every step of the process, as we seem to, you know, almost naturally just go up another rung of the ladder. It just kind of grew organically like that, really. Yeah. Uh, until we got to a point where we realised we'd had a certain amount of success and it was time for us to to all, you know, take the leap of faith and, and pursue this full time. So when you when you signed with, with Festival, um, was there anyone based out of Queensland back then? Or was it, was it by the time yeah, you were the, kind of interstate? all the interstate? companies still had offices in brisbane back then yeah right yeah it feels that feels like another life ago it wasn't another life ago. it's it's simply because people were paying for music that's ah i remember that time well oh gosh yeah um and you know we were i guess very fortunate to come in at the tail end of that old industry to actually be able to make a living out of you know recorded music Um, because and and it's interesting let's let's sit on that point for a sec just because it's like it's a big thing for me too because the type of music i think we both enjoy and there's there's so many different uh, one of the types of music we enjoy it takes time it takes great players it takes i mean this studio gear is not cheap to create a sort of quality that we want to put into our ears so you know to make you know it is a real different thing it's a real different beast and so yes um, i totally agree it's yeah, it's like we we certainly have. I don't know. Anyway, this is this is verging on old fuddy duddy territory <laughs> for me. Starting to sound like a record records I listen to. They used to play them, but it's <laughs> it, it, there is certainly things that have been lost by um, by the less influx of cash. Really, yeah, that's true. You know, it's and and that's one thing I guess. Like uh, with our first. With our first album, our first full-length album, you know, we essentially recorded live in the studio, and that's that's not cheap to do, you know, to get the separation that you want, yeah, uh, and still to be able to record live. It's uh, it's really, it's an awesome thing to be able to do, but um, it's not cheap even today, you know. So David Nichols produced it, right? David Nicholas, yeah. 
Dave, Dave Nicholas, that's right. So, um, and some of the the other stuff that he'd done, I just sort of had it up before. Um, oh, he's got a pretty crazy credits list. He's made some pretty you guys, albums. Yeah, because you guys were, um, yeah, he was he was an engineer on some Elton John stuff. Produced some Rod Stewart. Um, yes. In excess, Diesel engineered some Australian Crawl. I mean, this is uh, this is the best of that's Jimmy Barnes. Yeah, it's um, so. How did he? Brian Adams. Brian Adams. I mean, how did he? How did he come onto the project? And I mean, this is the this is what a label relationship um, does, not it? It puts you with people that that really help put it over the edge. You know, put yeah, it over the top. I think it was the label that put us in touch. I think I'm not certain of that, but I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. He, he came along to a show that we did down the Gold Coast and he said, yeah, the only way I can make sense of recording you guys is to do it live in a studio. And, and we went, cool. You know, let's do it. You let's say that, it. you say that now. And I can, I, I hear it listening back in my mind's eye of the record. It really did feel live. It felt real. It felt, you know, I mean, that's, it is, that's, it's less and less common, I guess, today for certain bands, but yeah. So where did, so did you record it all in Sydney? Or at Byron Bay House or in Gosford? Uh, yeah, m- most, like we did a lot of the recording in, uh, yeah, Mangrove Mountain, which, uh, Mangrove Studios, which at the time was owned by Gary Gary Beers from In Excess. And um, yeah. so we recorded there. And then we also, yeah, we also did some overdubs at a wonderful house in Byron as well. That's where we did most of the overdubs. But yeah. Keeping that Byron tradition alive. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a pretty special place. It's like it's always been. I've always been a hinterlander. Um, yeah. And you know, there's nothing really more special than you know the southern Queensland, northern New South Wales hinterland. It's pretty special. Yeah, it's it's hard to pass it, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bunch of bloody hippies, really. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't say that, but that's a positive thing. Bunch of hippies. Bunch of hippies. Everyone's been saying that bunch positively for bloody, years. We just didn't realise that's what they meant. Tree huggers, I tell you, bloody tree huggers. <laughs> Honey, there's a guy on the side of the road hugging the tree. Don't worry, honey. We're in the hinterlands. That's normal up here. That's right. Do you have any stories from the from making that first record that you can tell us, or anything you remember from any of the the songs that people know and love? Any little stories about it? Oh well, I tell you, my, I think I used to think my favourite song off the record was "Strange Days." Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. But I think it's I think it's truth now because that song is just like since I've been like relearning all the tunes that song's really stuck in my head and it's been fun like you know coming up with new ways to recreate some of the the sounds and the effects because like you know i don't have access to all of the same pedals that we had access to for those recordings like gary gary beers kind of opened up his inner cellar of like really boutique rare and vintage pedals which was um that was like for me it was like you know, like I'm never child, leaving here. I'm yeah, never like, leaving. Like a child yeah. being led into Wonka, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? An artist coming back to to learn their stuff. I can't remember which old school band it was, but um, he was saying that you know you'd go in, you'd make the record, and then just prior to the tour, you'd then have to learn the record again. Yeah, because you know it's like it's like with with the record that I've coming out mid year. There's a piano part on there that's kind of like we went in and it was just one take and the, the guy was just like, okay, the engineer just said, oh, we're just going to roll, just have a listen and just sort of just start to get your head around it because we tracked the piano last. 
and it's this kind of it's this the first single so glad and it's like this really big kind of um old school kind of motowny you know big horns big strings all sorts of stuff like that and then i played this like muscle shoals kind of wanna be aretha franken respect thing and it just jumped out of me and i swear to god cannot remember how to play it Can, <laughs> I, i'm going to have to go back and learn what i played that's a classic i love it you know so it's so interesting to hear you talking about this you know coming back to these songs have you do you feel like in any way you're like oh i do this now getting ready for this i i do it like this i i play it or are you like that guy no. man he was way he was way more switched on than i thought he was you know what i mean <laughs> um yeah, that's an interesting point. No, I think I'm just trying to really honestly just try and as faithfully recreate the sounds as possible, not like, oh, I'm going to yeah. update this or I'm going to try and do this better. No, because I don't think that's what the fans want anyway. No, they they want to hear it. No, I think you're right, as yeah. Close to, as close to possible. And, you know, fortunately for me, like, the music doesn't sound dated because I think we were never following any particular pop trend at the time. We were just trying to do our own thing, and I think that's what maybe – yeah lends itself to music kind of not being stuck to a particular point in time, hopefully, which is yeah, something I think all yeah. musicians aim for is to try and make something truly timeless. And uh, I, I think, listening back, that we somehow managed to pull that off. Cause, and I think that's because we weren't one of those bandwagon bands who, you know, went, listened to Interpol or something and went, let's do that, you know. Yeah. Sorry for any fans of Interpol it's... out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just lost a whole bunch of listeners for some reason. I don't know why that is. So the album comes out in 2002. Yep. Polly Serena. Am I, I've always wondered if I've pronounced that correctly. That's right. That's right. So it's a track on the Bastard Sun holiday EP. No, it's actually on the second EP. You can take what's. It's mine. on the second EP, is it? Oh, okay. You can take what's mine. Okay. And so, where does the where does that does that word actually mean something? Like like as a definition, yeah, or is it just a, some? It's a it's a made up word, but it comes from Greek. So poly meaning many and serena yeah. meaning serenity. The many serenities. Yeah, basically. It it's not it's not a, a superhuman race of tennis players or like multiple <laughs> Serena Williams. Is no, that? No. Although. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. We should license that to the US government. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, going to we be got rich. This idea now, you know, we're going to come up with Polly Serenus. You know, <laughs> you know it's like going to be Williams up the wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Then we're going to have to breed it. No, I'm just stepping away. <laughs> I really like that. I'm going to use that now in the show. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, oh, right. No, the Brilliant. It's yours. No, it's yours. Um, no, it'll probably it'll ruin the moment. You know, it's like we want, want to be all earnest and everything, you know. Yeah, that's right. You know, wearing our, yeah. our hearts on our sleeves and then I start talking about polysorenus. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> a race that. of superhuman yeah. tennis players I'll, the, I'll, from I'll another galaxy. I'll get one of those looks from my sister and I'll be done for. <laughs> she'll say, she'll look at you going, oh, you've been talking to Brad. I knew it. I know it. He used yeah. that joke on me 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it, the, the album debuts at number one on the Ari charts in 2002. It debuts at number one. I mean, debuting, I mean, on any chart, I think is a significant thing for, for an artist. You're actually charting. But for this band that, you, that was started at a, at, a, at a jam night, essentially, on the, the back deck, to then debut at one, 
I mean, what was that like? That must have been such a, a totally, uh, totally surreal. Yeah. It was totally surreal. I remember where we were. We were somewhere in Western Australia. I think we were doing a gig, like a kind of almost a mini festival outside a big pub that kind of reminded me of a big church. Right. And we were playing, I think, with a band called Wicked Beat Sound System. And we all got, like, you know, the message on our phones at the same time. You know, we were all, like, dancing around like lunatics. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was, one of, it was well, a pretty amazing moment. Like, people were telling us, oh, yeah, you're going to go number one, you're going to go number one. And honestly, we just used to politely laugh. We thought that yeah. was kind of funny. We didn't even think that was possible, really. So I go. guess that's. I guess that brings part of I think why the the album, why you guys. This is. I'm talking from a Brisbane person now, but it was so in the zeitgeist at that time because you guys were so earnest and still are about it. It's like it was. It was. It was a big jam that just kept elevating, wasn't it? It was just this yeah, extension exactly. of the love of music that just kept growing and growing and growing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Like when you're in it, it's kind of hard to see what's actually happening but of uh, course yeah in hindsight i can see that it was a very it was a very serendipitous moment i think yeah i mean you know and there's there's lots of aria noms and you guys are one of only 10 bands in history to debut at number one one of 10 australian bands to, to i mean let's just just pause and just think about that <laughs> that's insane that's insane Pretty crazy i don't even know if there's 10 bands from brisbane from brisbane yeah I'm joking, yeah. obviously. That's a that's a Brisbane joke for all the Brisbane people. It's incredible, Ty. Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty amazing achievement. As I said, it wasn't something that we, you know, forcefully set out to do. So, so it was uh, it was uh, very surprising. So, yeah. how did the music? How did you find the music, the style that you guys were playing? Given it was you were doing your own thing and you were playing music that was not the most conventional sound, let's say. I can't think of, I, I haven't sort of looked at what else was on the charts in 2002. I should have probably sort of looked that up. But did you find kind of doing the press circles and all that sort of stuff? How did, how did you find that being the type of band you were? Was it, were you at home with all these different Yeah, well, I things? think, you know, because it had been a kind of steady build-up, you know, we were pretty used to doing interviews and all that kind of stuff by the time that success came through. Obviously, it then went kind of supernova, so it was just more of the, more of it, you know. And yeah, then suddenly right. you're, yeah. you're talking to people like Richard Wilkins and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and so for them, it doing, wasn't. Doing it was on, more that big breakfast TV, you know, national breakfast TV and stuff like that. That's that's when you realise things are on a different level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess too, because you guys are so hot, it's not like it's. You know, it's we about on with Koshi. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> And, and next, George, Rose. give us their financial tips. That's right. I took every advice that Koshi gave me. <laughs> and look what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have many people that still still to this day? I mean, you guys have this this episode no will come Koshi, out. No offence to Koshi, of course. No, 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 no of course. course. No, no offence to Koshi. No, no, no we love him. Education is the best form of flattery. That's right. So we, we, we're we talking uh, just prior to the show you guys coming, um, coming up um, at, at the Brisbane Powerhouse to celebrate the, the anniversary. Do you, do you still, up until this day, have people like me who have these fan stories who are around at that, that time of explosion that just want to sort of share all these stories with you? And, and I'm sure that comes as a blessing and a curse, let's be frank. But 
uh, I'm sure you must still, do you have any interesting places you were where people have tried to sort of share these stories with you, like some strange places and times? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, there've been many stories and some of them have been really life-changing for me. There's one in particular, I remember I was down in Wollongong and uh, this kid came up to me after the gig and he told me that he was the son of a bastard, basically. Like right. The father w- was illegitimate and um, had caused a lot of problems in the family and, and that he was getting to a point where he was thinking about committing suicide and then he heard this song on the radio and it helped him snap out of it. I was like, wow. Wow. So, yeah. They're the kind of stories that really stick with you, where you 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 get a personal story of how you've actually made a difference in someone's life, and I think they're the most rewarding stories of all, you know. And I think ultimately that's the reason why we did it. Yeah, and this music, your music, or music, it touches people in ways that we can just never understand and never know. But it's always outside of us, you know. So even yeah. something that's been so successful is still that little story, you know, not a little story, but that moment's like, oh, my gosh, this is this makes all those hours playing, all the writing, everything yeah. kind of worth it in a, well, in a moment. It, it's also a moment too where you realise that it's bigger than you. Yeah, right. And it's the sum of the parts and it's all that kind of stuff and you realise that you've, you know, been so f- fortunate to have been given this gift to be able to share with people but ultimately really we're kind of, I guess, like, I don't know, some kind of channel or something or conduit for for energy, I think, ultimately, is yeah. what it's really all about. Yeah. And so and so that's that's a humbling thing too, which is really great, you know. To put that force into the world, I guess, and it, it'll do what it does. Yeah, but just to realise, you know, that almost like the whole thing was quite serendipitous and it was, I think, bigger than any one of us. It was almost like some kind of preordained universal kind of thing or something, you know, that happened, which is pretty awesome to just be a part of that. Do you buy Nick a really nice Christmas present? <laughs> I might. Did, do you buy him a t- did, does, do you, did you buy him a T-shirt that says, I suggested George be George? Is that <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine that I've, I actually don't know Nick. I've, I've never met Nick, so I'm, I'm talking out of school, but I feel a bit like that. Yeah, but it's all his fault. That's true. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where I was going. That's what the I T-shirt. Blame, I blame him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that um, you mentioned the song that is kind of means the most to you now. But looking back, is that would that be the track that you kind of like? If you had a couple of tracks, you look back and you go, "Yeah, I really uh, uh, that one means something to me, or that one's special to me." I mean, you sort of spoke a bastard son there. Is there any other tracks for you that looking back you that that have a hold a little place in your heart, a little special moment? Oh, that's. Each each song has its own little special place, really. Yeah. You know? But uh, for me, one of the other favourite songs on the album for me is Strange Days. Just had a lot of fun recording that. With all the um, pedals? Well, yeah, exactly. So I was thinking for the chorus, because it had this kind of almost Beatlesque, kind of super trampy kind of vibe, and I, I wanted to get the super tramp keyboard sound. Yeah. I literally went into the toilet and I picked up the first or second magazine on the top of the pile next to the next to the cistern, and and there it was, keyboard player. How to get that super tramp sound? No, you're joking, aren't you? I'm not kidding. No way. Yep. And it was simple. It's just one keyboard, which I already had, had the right keyboard, 
and then one pedal. And guess what was sitting in Gary Beer's little inner circle of pedals, that exact pedal. So I Get just, out. Literally five minutes later, went in, plugged it in, started playing. It was like, oh, my God, there it is. That's, that's amazing. So what was – do you remember the pedal? Or do you remember yeah, the magazine? The, the boss, <laughs> boss Chorus Ensemble, this big old grey thing. Yeah, amazing uh, vintage kind of Boss Chorus Ensemble pedal. Awesome. That's it. I've got one now. Yeah. I tracked one down. Wow. Wow. Well, that's a real thrill because I'm a big Supertramp fan, obviously, as a keyboard well, player. And if you want Supertramp sound, you've got to track down one of those. Yeah. If you want to be a tramp, you need the CE1. I've always said that. Yeah. If you want to be a tramp, you need to get Super Boss. <laughs> <laughs> so one more question that I've always wanted to ask and I've always wanted listening. Are you a big Jeff Buckley fan? <laughs> um, it's funny. I don't really listen to him much anymore, but at the time, the, the not just me, but the whole band was influenced by Jeff Buckley. Like, I mean, everyone was at that time. Was everyone. It was everywhere. He was everywhere. Yeah. Know? But go on. We, we all went and saw him live at Seagulls. Get out at Seagulls. Yeah, wow. Yeah. For those who know, it's a Gold Coast club in Brisbane. Oh, in Australia. Yeah. Sorry, in Queensland. Sorry. Yeah. My, my the mind. Gold Coast. And so, yeah, we saw him at Seagulls and I think we were all so blown away by not just him but also the band and the musicianship and we thought, well, if, if you know, if these guys can make a living making music like that, then maybe we've got a shot. Yeah. You know? So it was very influential in that respect. And well, I think we were, all, we were all influenced by the music, you know, as, as we were also influenced by a lot of other stuff at the time, you know, like, Radiohead and Portishead, all the headbands. We were, <laughs> we were into all the headbands. Yeah. You know, and there was old school influences like some Beatles, some Zeppelin, some Hendrix, all that kind of thrown into the mix, I guess. Yeah. Well, if, if um, I was big, I was highly influenced by a band called Doves at the time. Yeah, right. Who I, who I also saw live at, at Splendor in the Grass, and they were just unbelievable. Three piece. Couldn't believe the sound coming off the stage. And I remember going backstage at one point just to look at their pedal boards. Yeah, right. Just insane. Their pedal boards were just these most massive things. Oh, I was just incredible. How many? How many? Like what? what's the stack? Oh, I just... couldn't even count. Like I swear the boards were like, say, your normal pedal board, normal large pedal board, it was like four of those stuck together. Wow. Those roadies yeah. must be, I mean, that must be just an hour connecting lead, small lead to lead, yeah. pedal to pedal, pedal to pedal. Exactly. Yeah, one hell of a chain. Well, Ty, I think we should leave it there. I've had such a great time chatting with you going down memory lane here this morning. Hope you've enjoyed it too. And thanks so much for sharing your time with us in Ramble City. Oh, it's been great. No worries. Yeah. Nice to chat to you too, mate. That was fun. This has been Ramble City a podcast of conversations with interesting people musing on art, life and their careers, created and produced by Old Fashioned Media. To hear more and discover additional material from today's episode, visit ofm.com. Listener.